2: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Naughty But Nice Show. It's a very special edition of the show today. So we do our show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but last week we did a special bonus show on Saturday. It went across so well that I asked my friend Ben Whittacombe to join us today. Ben is a gossip columnist, or maybe I should say a former gossip columnist, working at Page Six TMZ, even having his own column at the New York Daily News. He's also worked for the Fancy Pants, New York Times. His new book is called Gate Crasher. How I Helped the Rich Become Famous and Ruin the World. It's a great title. Ben, are you there? Robert, hello. <laughs> hello, hello. So congratulations on the book. It came out this week. I can't believe I actually have a friend <laughs> who has a book, Ben. Well, it's awfully impressive. Well, thank you, Robert.
1: And if, if you're a fan of naughty but nice gossip and who isn't, I think the Gatecrasher will be really right up your alley. Uh, and in fact, what, We're gonna... one Robert Shooter, it uh, also features in the book, by the way.
2: I've heard about that. We'll get to that a little bit later on. So, Ben, let's jump in straight with the show because we've got so much to talk about. How did all this start for you? How did you become one of the premier gossip columnists in probably the media capital of the world, New York City? How did it start? Completely
1: by accident. I moved (laughs) to New York City in 1998. Uh, Knowing nobody, my first job was literally selling hot dogs on the street on the Upper West Side. Uh, and my partner at the time was a fashion guy and he had mm-hmm. the idea that we should start a fashion gossip column because it was the late nineties, the wild west of the internet. There was nothing like that on the internet at all. So we were the right. first fashion gossip columnists, uh, and we oh. gate, gate crash fashion parties at night, which is why I named my later <laughs> column gate crasher, uh, and now this book. And so we got all mm-hmm. the scoop and we enjoyed making fun of supermodels and Anna Wintour and and the excesses of that scene uh and mm-hmm. so much to my surprise i became known as a gossip columnist and oh. page six at the new york post uh took me on as a contributor uh and then later yes. i got a column at their competitor the daily news so uh turned out turned out i was good at it
2: <laughs> you are good at it what do you think makes you good at this
1: Uh, I think, that, as you know, Robert, the accent is 90% of it. People just, you you could say pineapple upside down cake, and people think, oh, that sounds so smart. Uh, You know, I think it's it's observational. You you, you know yourself as a leading columnist, that you just have to keep your eyes and your ears open. And really, most Mm. people, given half the chance, will hang themselves.
2: (laughs) Say that again. That's really good advice. I think you gave it to me. If you shut up for long enough, and you can use this in your regular life too, you don't have to be a gossip columnist. if you shut up, which I find quite hard to do, but if you do shut up, people tell you everything.
1: And, of course, one of the keys is that in New York City, how you, one becomes practices gossip is that you go to a lot of parties, although not currently maybe, right. but remember parties. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. so of course, anytime the alcohol is flowing, uh, the tongues get loose.
2: <laughs> right, right. It's such a fun world to be in, Ben. Why did you? Why did you hang it up? Why did you end? Why did you um, stop doing so
1: it? So I did have a lot of fun, uh, and it was a really interesting way to, especially as a foreigner, to experience American culture. This very glitzy um, world of film premieres and Hollywood stars, and the clueless and wealthy, and. Right. <laughs> I had a problem. I, I had an editor at the Daily News who whose ethics I question. And you mm. know, there's there's a, a long-standing tradition in tabloid and other media of, of beating up a story. You know, you take a story which may be not so salacious, but you because you have to sell it to the readers, so you make it right. seem like a, a, it's a lot bigger than it is. And I think that right. and that that's fair enough. M- many journalists do that, especially gossip reporters. But I, I had felt someone that there was uh, someone in a position of power who I thought was crossing the line and what was ethical. And uh, I knew that if I uh, did that it would be my name that would be mud and uh, oh. you know and not this person. So I, I got out of that I did uh, dip my toe back into gossip when TMZ out of the blue um offered me the position of managing editor in Los Angeles. Uh so I <laughs> did <a> nice <laughs> I did jump back into into the Gossip Arena uh right. for for a few months to do that and that was a, an interesting experience but um again after that I was happy to leave Gossip. Up.
2: Do you miss it at all Ben or you still get invited to the parties Well, you will when the parties come back but do you miss it at all? Well, sometimes
1: I I for the last 2 years before COVID hit New York City I was the social columnist for the New York Times. So uh, I would do two events a week for that. And I did enjoy that. Uh So I certainly enjoy observing and commenting on the habits of the rich and famous. Currently, I'm the editor-in-chief of Avenue Magazine, which is a luxury lifestyle. Oh
2: Congratulations. It's a a long history magazine. It's been around for a long time and you've just taken over. That must be fun. Uh,
1: It is a lot of fun. Yes, of course, we live in remarkable times. So the events that we all enjoy going to are no longer happening uh, and people have their wings clipped. So there aren't the excesses that, that are fun to observe. But we do hope that uh, by the fall,
2: things will be back to normal. What happened to the fashion business? So when you started doing this, Ben, and you were blogging before Paris Hilton, Perez Hilton, myself and lots of others, you were one of the first out there. That fashion world was at the peak of its sort of extravagance. I worked for Naomi Campbell for a while, yeah. so I knew the fashion world, f- world through her. There was a time when supermodels, we forget this, they were the biggest celebrities in the world. They were like the dinosaurs. <laughs> like They... Devoured everything around them They were the superstars How did all that change?
1: Well, that's true I mean, the 90s saw a, a confluence Of a number of different trends uh, The the sort of glamazon, very athletic Great-looking uh, supermodels became popular They were often in music videos uh, And on yeah. MTV So that was a factor in their popularity uh, And a lot of the girls represented This new thing called globalization That was coming in So someone like Naomi um, Who was... <clears throat> You know, of Caribbean stock and an English girl um, represented um, me- m- this combination of cultures uh, that, that, that was becoming more common in the 90s. And she just seemed so thrillingly modern. No one had seen mm-hmm. anyone like that, know me before. And in my personal opinion, she, she is the best model who has ever lived because she does editorial. She would because, agree. She would <laughs> agree. She, would she, would... <laughs> she definitely would agree. But yeah. it's, <laughs> a real, it's a real talent. You <laughs> see, so you don't just turn up and look pretty. Like, she really knows how to have talent. So... And, um, of course, it was also the peak of fashion advertising. So the magazines oh. were so flush with money that everyone was a celebrity. The, the editors, like Anna winter became a celebrity. Yes. The designers, yes. um, like Versace, they were celebrities. The models were celebrities. Right. And the first death knell of that, I think, um, you know, the biggest fashion party that I ever went to, because in their heyday, New York Fashion Week, got as many celebrities to the shows as a Hollywood premiere.
2: There, it was like the Oscars oh, going to a, a big show in New York.
1: There could be two dozen Famous stars at any fashion show. <laughs> and the biggest party I went to was Mark Jacobs, uh, oh. you know, when, when he launched his Daisy fragrance. And there were people like Sarah yes. Jessica Parker and Donald right. and Melania were there. And just right. a, a lot of big name actors. And it was a, he spent extra money on that particular show because he was l- launching a fragrance. And that date was September 10th, mm. 2001. And yes. once, of course, the next day, the Twin Towers came down. And there was never a party like that in the fashion world ever again. And other factors like, um, for example, the internet taking away print advertising um, meant the magazines had smaller budgets so they weren't the, the extravagant fashion shoots
2: and I'd never actually thought about it in those terms it's following the money like in all the president's men there was so much money in those magazines because it cost 60 70 maybe a hundred thousand sure. dollars to buy a page of advertising so they just had the cash to do this Barbara Walters once said to me um, she said that whoever runs the gossip pages in a newspaper basically run the paper did you agree <laughs>
1: I, I I do you know in, in a media ecosystem like New York City uh, where, where there are many different kind of magazines and tv shows and newspapers centered the first thing that everyone in that industry does in the morning is read the (laughs) gossip columns because if you're if you're a a tv show producer or on a morning show uh you want to know who who you need to book the next day they're probably in the gossip columns um even the serious magazines need to know who's hot who's trending um magazine editors would look at the columns to see who they might consider for their next cover star. And it all starts oh. with the gossips.
2: It starts with the gossips. Gawker, this site that doesn't exist anymore, but it was a terrific site, its tagline was today's g- yeah today's gossip is tomorrow's news. And I think that's really true. Explain to everybody, though, how does it work? How does a celebrity get into the gossip pages.
1: Well, misbehavior is our preferred means. (laughs) We hope hope that we catch them doing something very embarrassing. Um, But of of course, um, if they want to be seen in a somewhat better light, it's very useful to hire a publicist. And uh, a publicist might stage certain events. You know, you might have to take the Mm -hmm. gossip calls at the lunch. Um, You might Mm -hmm. make sure your client was flatteringly photographed wearing a cute outfit on the streets of Soho.
2: Uh, oh, a good outfit always it always works. In the summer, Bethany Frankel does this. They go to the beach and change bikinis four times, and the paparazzi then can sell four different pictures of them, and it looks like they've been at the beach all summer, where they really do it in like an hour. So changing clothes <laughs> works. Naughty BM. It's this dilemma celebrities have, though, because they do want to be in the columns. When I was working for Different Stars, they all read the column on, on the first thing they do when they wake up. They want to be in them, but they sort of want to dictate what you write about them. And that's the twist. That's the game you have to play, the push and the pull. They want to be in them, but they want you to say nice things. But really, the only reason you should be in a gossip page is if you've done something naughty. So it's a little bit of back and forth. How does that work, Ben?
1: Well, you know, as, as they say, gossip is just what people don't want you to know. Everything else is public relations. <laughs> um, so so sometimes a publicist will give you something really juicy about someone who's not their client. Uh, in, oh,
2: in quick e- pro quo. In
1: exchange for a flattering item about their client somewhere else. Um, you actually, mm. Robert, were involved in what I think is one of the most significant stories of the last 20 years in terms of shaping the culture. Uh, Tell me. When you were working with Paris Hilton, and the New York yes. Times wrote a wonderfully flattering story <laughs> about her in 2004, I think it was, called Paris Inc. And it yes. really, it was about how Paris was making the point that she wasn't just some bimbo um, who was mm-hmm. who was lucking into everything. That in fact that right. she was a brand, and that like, and she was in fact the CEO of a multi-million dollar business called Paris Hilton, and that she made very mindful decisions. And I think that um, the story was hugely influential in how people perceived her.
2: Yeah, I think those type of stories we call them tone-setting stories when a celebrity has a story out there that changes everything for them. And I think a lot of celebrities do this with big glossy magazine covers. If they want to get a big endorsement deal from a cosmetic company, you try to get a cover of Vogue or W, mm. and then the cosmetic company then thinks you're gorgeous and fabulous and sophisticated. With Paris, we were trying to get her away from people thinking she was not very smart, mm. which she clearly is. She's not She's not a dummy. And so uh, I know I was actually quite surprised that I pulled it off myself, but that New York Times story was pretty wild. How much has Paris and the Kim? change the world of gossip and the world in general ben
1: well you know there, there are two big cultural and technological changes which have happened uh, since the, the turn of the 20th century uh the first one was reality television which i do think made a measurable dint in how people behaved especially young people um i think that they started to perceive a value in, in drama and playing up um for attention mm-hmm. and then 10 years after the birth of reality tv you've got social media which doubled down on the same, I think, not particularly useful impulse. Uh, and of course, mm. now, now everyone's their own brand. Now you don't need a reality television crew following you around um, because you have that in, right. in your own pocket. And right. what younger people may not appreciate is that Paris Hilton originated many of these behaviors. And she was a legitimately wealthy person who performed mm-hmm. being rich in a very you know, over-the-top way um, I, I believe that she was heavily influenced by rap culture in, in her, her aesthetic choices. Um, so she was vibing mm-hmm. with an important artistic movement there. And um, Kim Kardashian copied every move in her playbook and I arguably exceeded her mentor.
2: Yeah, I am. Um, I think that a lot of people don't realise Paris invented Kim. When I was working with Paris, she worked really hard. The myth on Paris that she wants out there is that she just floats into a situation (laughs) and is just outrageously wonderful. She used to work really hard behind the scenes to be terrific for 10 or 15 minutes at a party or or a club. And, um, no, a lot of work went into it. And also, too, the Paris that you would meet in the day... uh, to have a business meeting with, didn't have the blue contacts in, she had dark eyes she didn't talk in that squeaky squeaky your heart voice, she spoke like this, she spoke really, I was really impressed with her, working with her, she has a work ethic, she knew what she was doing and um, she really sort of invented this format, and I don't think she's jealous of Kim, I think she's quite happy now she's made enough money, let Kim sort of carry on with that, and particularly now the housewives have sort of taken over too, is it because they're so accessible Ben, like on days when I have to fill my column or my website and I have no news. I can't call Julia Roberts, (laughs) but I can get Jill Zarin on the phone. So, like, it's sort of interesting. Do you think the movie star celebrities are jealous that these new sort of reality stars have taken a bit of their thunder?
1: Well, as you know, I think as someone who's covered the business from both sides, um, it attracts a very, uh, uh, well, frankly, an unstable personality. Someone who is very insecure, uh, but at (laughs) the same time often a narcissist. And that, right. that volatile combination of, of, of neediness but also jealousy, uh, I think that probably movie stars may resent um, reality mm-hmm. stars because they are considered much lower caliber talents. I don't think they mm-hmm. should, but, but they may. Um, and, of right. course, if, if you're a reality star, reality stars and now influencers really are kind of the bottom feeders of the culture. Uh, and it mm-hmm. attracts um, a really shameless personality who uh, are prepared to feud and pull each other's weaves off and flip tables on camera uh, just to compete in the attention economy.
2: I couldn't do that. Could you? I was offered a reality show once. I could. I couldn't. I mean, as, as much as I enjoy the spotlight and and being ridiculous, I'm I'm very aware of how ridiculous I am. I don't know about that reality no, business though. No. And meeting them off the shows too, generally, there's always the exception. They're not very nice people. No. Like, the, I don't. I'm not friends with them. I'm really not. There's one or two I I do like, and you know I I've got their phone numbers, but I'm not really friends with them. Ben, are you with with anyone?
1: Oh, absolutely not. I I don't think I have a single selfie with a celebrity in in 20 years of doing this but remember we're only tools for them i mean they they don't really want to be friends with us they want to use us for how we can promote them and I th- were you
2: aware of that? So when people were nice to you, and I've seen it, I've been to events where people come over to you and chat and hello, big smiles on your face. You're aware that after your column inches. It yes. sounds a little dirty, doesn't <laughs> it? I didn't mean it to sound like that. But you know what I mean. Oh, good grief. <laughs> well, I, I
1: didn't. I mean, I wasn't seeking friendships with them. I mean, to me, they were prey, essentially. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we, we won't say any names, but there are people that we know around the scene who really just desperately wanted to be in that, right. in that scene. And the, the, right. their definition of success is being pals with these people, uh, and that's right. that's the selfie culture, which I know you don't in, in, indulge in either. But,
2: but yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I sort of the first time you see them, it's awfully exciting to see somebody like Teresa Giudice when I first <laughs> met her. Oh, i was staring at her; my eyes were bigger saucers. Mm. I can't believe it. But I don't really want to be friends with her. Now, you do tell a story in the book though that I think is so sweet. There are a certain two celebrities, I think they're twins, yes. who actually start your heart even you you mean old (laughs) devil they melted your heart who are they oh the Olsen
1: twins I I have to say in the whole celebrity (laughs) barnyard the only people I ever had sympathy for were the Olsen twins because number one they became so famous in their teenage years that they I think it actually threatened their mental health because no one would leave them alone. But Mm. they never opted into this. They were literally cast as babies in the show Full House, which made them famous. Um, And Mm. then they were managed by older people and they did a number of, you know... Very G-rated TV movies as they got older. At no point were they really ever given a choice. Um, maybe when they, mm. by the time they got to college age, I think they realized they were ready to step away and reinvent. Um, but they right. were hounded by the press, uh, you know, including me, frankly, um, yeah. who yeah. who were, and then you know they did a few naughty things that we we, we reported on. Mm-hmm. But those two women never opted in. You know, they they were brought up in the business, and to their credit, when they became old enough to make their own decisions, they became. Incredibly talented fashion designers. So I just right, have nothing right. but respect and, and, and honor for those. I love that. Yeah. Who
2: drives you crazy? Who's your least favorite? Oh,
1: good lord! Um, you know, not, who is just awful? Not the biggest stars, but people like Janice Dickinson. Remember her? Like she would, God, <laughs> yes. she would just never leave you alone. Was like get out of my way. Like Courtney Love used to call up and talk for hours. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong, it was kind of fun because she was such such an, an appealing nut job. But it's like, oh
2: God, put the phone down, really? <laughs> girl! Ugh. I have to ask you about, we're running out of time a little bit, but I have to ask you too about Donald Trump. We're not a political show. We don't nope. get involved in that. But Donald Trump was a major celebrity here in New York City. You've met him many times. I think you went to, did you go to one of his wives' weddings? I went to
1: Ivana's last <laughs> wedding at Mar-a-Lago, yes, and Donald was <laughs> <Tell> there.
2: <me. laughs> a- oh, did he give her away or the sons, the gave, sons her gave her away? The sons
1: gave her away. Um, and the funny, I mean, do, you know, Donald and Ivana actually stayed close. I, I think um, when Marla Maples, who broke up that marriage, was still married to Donald, that was tough. But once she was mm-hmm. out of the picture, um, you know, because they, they they were good parents to those kids. Um, mm-hmm. I think now the, the kids are, are too controversial for anyone to like them. But before Donald became president, they were quite well-liked in New York City. They were. Especially hey, well. Ivanka, hey, well. who was just a very intelligent, funny woman. But mm-hmm. at the time, she people liked her. Uh, mm-hmm. And... Um, the God. The funny thing about that wedding at Mar-a-Lago, um, Melania was Baron had just been born. Melania was upstairs, uh, like a Disney oh, villainess. Um, Donald was watching everything from the terrace with his arms crossed as as, oh. as, as Ivana married this guy called Rosano, who was you know a, a Italian of questionable background, and. <laughs> there had been a domestic disturbance at the house just before they got married and the, and the police were called and Rosano was cuffed. I don't know what happened, but Rosano was, was in, in handcuffs. And then he was uncuffed and then they smoothed it over and the wedding went ahead. But Don Jr., who gave away his mother, um, yes. threatened to kill him in his, in his speech. He, he, he delivered the father of the bride <laughs> speech and he told Rosano, and I presume he was referring to, to whatever the domestic disturbance was about, that he reminded Rosano, his new stepfather, that the Trump
2: family uh-huh. was
1: in construction. He had a forty-five and a shuttle, and he knew how to lose he knew
2: he knew how to lose people. So Happy wedding, mommy! Yes, I congratulations, Lord. <laughs> exactly. All lift your guns. <laughs> and it toast. we should lift our glasses. <laughs> ben, congratulations, gatecrasher. How I helped the rich become famous and ruined the World, it's all your fault, Ben Whitaker. It's all your fault. (laughs) Congratulations. Are you thrilled? Does it feel different now? You're an author. Uh, I
1: don't know how different it feels, but um, I'm. I'm very glad the book was out. It was two years coming, and uh, it's a lot of work, isn't it? it? It's an enormous
2: amount of work to do these books. I know so many people, including myself, who think, Oh, I'd love to have a book, and then you have to sit down and write the damn thing. (laughs) That's that's it's it's a lot of work. Congratulations, everybody. Pick up a copy. It's full of juicy, (laughs) juicy gossip. We didn't give too much away, hopefully, on the show. Lots of celebrities that you know and love behind the scenes and a lots of scoop too on what it's actually like to be a fabulous gossip columnist, which, Ben, you will always be. Thank you, my friend. Well,
1: thank you. It's Naughty But Nice with Rob.